We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning and happy Valentine's Day. Today is Wednesday, February 14th, and I just love Valentine's Day because I am such a girly girl that I love all of the pink and red and hearts and sparkles. and It is so much fun. And I have my hazelnut coffee with my hazelnut macaroon that I got yesterday and it's just, it's great. And I'm also one of those people that loves conversation hearts. And I know that's so controversial, just like candy corn, but uh, conversation hearts are, are just fun. And they're very nostalgic, I think for me, because um, growing up, one of of my favorite traditions every year on Valentine's Day, all growing up, was my dad would always bring um, me and my brothers uh, a little box of chocolates, usually with like Snoopy or um, you know Mickey or Minnie or you know somebody on um, on the box, and it was just always something that I looked forward to. And um, my dad was just always there all the time for every all of the very minor Hallmark created holidays, but um, but always just my family loves to celebrate um, everything and and especially just being a family. And so um, so I always kind of look at that. And then this year got to do the same thing and kind of pay it forward to my nephews and my niece, and so sent them um, little boxes of chocolates in the same way. And uh, so happy Valentine's Day to you and yours and uh, everyone who celebrates this this Hallmark um, very pink sparkly day. So speaking of uh, things that are not so pink, pink and sparkly, the top headline this morning is that Republicans did, in fact, impeach uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas in their second attempt uh, late last night. So Wall Street Journal said this this morning. House Republicans impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on a largely party line vote Tuesday, succeeding on their second try after an embarrassing defeat last week. I tend to actually agree with the Wall Street Journal. You don't bring it to the floor for a vote unless you know that you have uh, the votes. So with the 214 to 213 vote, Mayorkas became the first sitting cabinet official in history to be impeached. The GOP has been pursuing the impeachment for more than a year, alleging that Mayorkas has willfully refused to enforce the nation's immigration laws, pointing to the number, uh, the record number of illegal crossings at the southern border in the last few years. Democrats say the impeachment is illegitimate. And we'll see whether there is, in fact, a trial in the Senate. So what I tweeted yesterday uh, after the breaking news, I said, my unpopular, probably unpopular opinion 
This is a waste of time. Even if Mayorkas is convicted and removed, Biden's handlers will just replace him with someone just as derelict, hold Biden responsible for his administration's actions. However, some Republicans think that this is a win and at least a good move. And one of them is our good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West from the great state of Texas, who joins us this morning. So, Alan, happy Mm -hmm. Valentine's Day and thank you so much for joining me on this Pink Sparkly Day. Well, thank you, Jenna, and a happy Valentine's Day to you. And, you know, I don't so much see it as, as a win for Republicans. I see it as a win for the Constitution and the Constitutional Republic that we live in, because what we have to send the message to, and, and I think it's absolutely ludicrous and hypocritical for Democrats to say that this impeachment was illegitimate. Uh, I think about the phone call impeachment of President Trump. But if we allow people to go before the representatives of the American people and lie to them, which means you're lying to the American people and not uphold your law, not uphold your enumerated constitutional duties and responsibilities, then we're complicit in their actions. And I think that this clearly shows that the Democrats who voted not to impeach him, they don't care about our border. They don't care about the drug, the human and sex trafficking, and now the terrorist trafficking. And they don't care about the Constitution and you know telling the truth to the American people. So I think that's really what we're talking about here. And if Joe Biden were to replace him with someone else and they uh, lied, then yes, they should be held accountable. But I believe that you're absolutely correct when you look at Joe Biden. He has committed treason against the United States of America, high crimes and misdemeanors, by allowing terrorists to come across our border. And I think he should be held accountable as well. So uh, is, is not excusing Joe Biden. I think everyone in that administration should be held accountable for the lies that they have perpetrated against us, the American people, and our Constitution. Absolutely. I agree with you that uh, they all should be held accountable. And I wish that the GOP majority, even though it's very slim, would be pursuing mm-hmm. impeachment against Joe Biden. And and I agree with you that uh, Secretary America should be held accountable for uh, the, the lies that he, um, and this is one of the allegations in the impeachment, is that he lied uh, to Congress in some of his testimony. But is impeachment really the constitutional answer here? Because um, we know, of course, as you just mentioned, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, that the impeachment, both of the impeachments of Donald Trump were ridiculous, did not rise to the level of high crimes or misdemeanors under the Constitution. So does this really, in your mind, rise to the level of a high crime or misdemeanor? Or would something like a contempt of Congress or perjury charge or something like that, um, even though that would have to be a referral by Congress to the DOJ, they're not going to act on it. Um, So is this is impeachment really the answer here constitutionally? Yes. When I consider the fact that you've had hundreds of thousands of Americans have lost their lives because of fentanyl, and that's due to Mallorca's and Joe Biden not doing their constitutional duty to protect the American people. When I think about the woman who was dragged uh, down the street in New York by uh, members of some you know, Venezuelan gang who were here illegally, uh, they were trying to steal her cell phone or her purse. Yes, uh, he should be impeached because what you see is the high crime and misdemeanor are causing for crimes to be committed against the American people. American people are losing their lives. Citizens are losing their lives. We're losing our loved ones. We're being attacked uh, 
by these uh, people here that are illegally. So absolutely, uh, you should be impeached for that. And I was in Congress when uh, we had the uh, the contempt of Congress against Eric Holder. It went nowhere uh, because, you know, the, the attorney general is not going to refer a case against himself. So I think it is very important that we take the, the most important and the most, uh, I think, strictest action against these individuals that are causing harm against the American people. And who knows how many terrorists are now in this country when you start to talk about 1.5 to 2 million gotaways that are mostly single military age males as well. And that's a fair argument. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, when this is actually brought over. The, the articles of impeachment are walked over to the Senate. I remember, of course, it wasn't uh, that many mm-hmm. news cycles ago when uh, Nancy Pelosi very ceremoniously walked those yeah. articles of impeachment over to the Senate against uh, former President Trump. And, and we'll see if this goes anywhere. There are reports that Democrats are suggesting, um, because they, they control the Senate, that uh, they'll just d- decline to hold a trial. Um, I think that would be a dereliction of duty if they just simply summarily dismiss this um, without cause or without allowing um, the the arbiter in this instance, whether it's uh, Chief Justice uh, Roberts who sits as the trial judge or whether it's someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Chief Justice would have to in instances of the, of the president. But um, that whoever sits as judge should be the one to handle issues of law like a summary judgment motion, um, something that would foreclose a trial. But if Democrats just simply say, well, we're going to ignore um, the impeachment articles, I think that that is also ignoring the constitutional process, and we have another problem on our hands. Yes, you absolutely do. And this is something where you would hope uh, it would be messaged properly to say that here are a group of individuals that are supposed to be representative of the American people. They supposedly took an oath to support, defend the Constitution, uphold the uh, laws of this nation, and they are thumbing their nose at it. And I don't think that the Democrats want to have that when you are talking about the number one issue for the American people right now is the border and the border security. And this is not about Republicans versus Democrats. This is everyone. They're very concerned about what they see happening with the border. When you look in Chicago and the inner city communities there, they're concerned about the uh, illegal immigrants coming to their city. You look at what's going on in New York when you had the school that was shut down and closed to bring in uh, illegal immigrants and how that affected those families. So this is now touching a broad swath of people. And uh, I think that's why the Democrats are trying to do everything possible to put Republicans on the line with this phony border security legislation when all President uh, Biden needs to do is go back and reverse his unconstitutional executive actions and orders that he put in place to open up our border. Yeah, really well said. And I'm speaking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who is also the host of the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. And you can read him at alanwest.substack.com. And um, speaking of the border, in the last about five minutes or so I have with you, um, you're in Texas and you're seeing, yeah. uh, you know, Governor Greg Abbott, who is finally, I think, um, almost like he was he was pushed to take a stand. <laughs> and But it's a very good thing that he actually yeah. finally is. Um, where do you see this 
conflict escalating to, um, especially because we are in, an, in a presidential election year. So everything mm-hmm. you just mentioned in terms of the politics around this, it's really unfortunate that I think you're right, that Democrats are just looking at this kind of through the lens of how does this impact uh, the November elections, because the border is the number one issue. And Americans, I, I think, don't really care uh, uh, on partisan lines as much as they do about their own security. And even some mm-hmm. Democrats are getting very frustrated with the administration, the current administration, for allowing all of these illegals to come in and are, are kind of saying, it may, and maybe rethinking their vote. Yeah, I think they are, because this illegal immigration issue, again, it touches such a broad swath of us. It's an economic uh, security issue. It's a health care issue. It's an education issue. It's a domestic security issue. And, you know, it's a, it's a national security issue. And when you look at what is happening, uh, you know, Joe Biden threatening to federalize the Texas National Guard so that they can, you know, violate their oath and allow illegal immigrants into the country? No. I mean, this is absolutely dumb, and that was a very bad hill to choose to die on. So uh, constitutionally, I think that the people that understand what Article 4, Section 4 says, they have the high ground, and the Democrats do not have the high ground on this, and they are struggling with it, and they're struggling with so many other aspects of their foreign policy and national security policy, and and the American people are waking up to see that. Uh, As far as uh, Governor Abbott, you know, two, maybe three years too late, but at least he's taking some action, but I want everyone in your listening audience to understand that Texas shares 1,249 miles of border with Mexico. And what we're talking about with this concertina wire down along Eagle Pass, maybe it's about 50 miles that we're really uh, talking about with this wire. And the uh, the floaties that were out there in the Rio Grande River, maybe about half a mile. Uh, there's still a lot of open border, especially out in West Texas, and that's where the very, very bad elements are crossing those mountains and coming to the country, and we don't know who they are or where they are. So we still got a lot to do with securing our border and shutting it down and repatriating people back across that border and not busting them deeper into our country. Yeah, well, and according to uh, Joe Biden, that border of Mexico is shared with Gaza, apparently. So, I mean, he has no clue what he's even saying. But um, but that just that that is a glimpse into why uh, protecting the border and and issues of national security should rightly uh, be done by the federal government, because everyone who comes across that border in Texas will affect the rest of the United States. So I'm grateful to mm-hmm. see um, some of the red state uh, governors that are sending support and voicing support for Greg Abbott, even though I agree it, it was a few years too late, but better late than never. And at least he is standing Correct. up now. And uh, and so we'll we'll continue to see how how this fares Um you know, we'll uh, we'll continue to see what what happens. But um, but in terms of Greg Abbott, I mean, do you think he'll stand strong if ultimately the Supreme Court says, you know, no, the feds can can come in and kind of do what they want? No, uh, you know, the Supreme Court was wrong in that decision because basically what they're saying is that a state has no recourse if the uh, federal government decides that they're going to violate the Constitution. Uh, and that's not the case. That's not what the Constitution says. And remember that these are these United States of America and that sovereign, you know, independent states created the United States of America. That's in the Declaration of Independence. So I think Amen. it's very important we respect the state's right to protect itself. And so uh, Justice Roberts and Amy 
Coney Barrett, they were on the wrong side of history uh, in that decision that they took. And wrong side of the Constitution. I, I could not agree more. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, it's been a while since we've had you because I know you've had um, some great grandchildren things going on, but um, hopefully we'll have you back on again very soon. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on an ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful. Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And the Senate passed legislation early yesterday morning to provide aid to Ukraine and Israel, setting up a showdown in the GOP-controlled House. This coming from National Review, where more isolationist voices, including Speaker Mike Johnson, have threatened to kill the package. Interestingly, that they characterize uh, Mike Johnson as an isolationist. But uh, interestingly, they go on to say the bill, which passed 70 to 29, provides $95.34 billion in new foreign aid, including $61 billion in assistance to Ukraine for its ongoing conflict against Russia, $14 billion to Israel for its war against Hamas, and $4.8 billion to aid regional partners in the Indo-Pacific to counter Chinese aggression. So uh, I want to welcome in now our next guest, our good friend uh, Josh Hammer, who is the uh, one of the editors at Newsweek. He's the senior editor at large at Newsweek, the syndicated host of the Josh Hammer Show, and has a new daily show that started on January 29th. So it's in its first few weeks, and it's a great podcast. It's called America on Trial with Josh Hammer, where he says he will cover the 2024 election through a legal lens, focusing on Trump, Biden, and all the unprecedented litigation and lawfare. So, uh, Josh, welcome in. And um, this this aid package, you know, I'm I'm a fan of supporting Israel, of course, um, but this is money that we don't have. There were no offsets. This is so much more money to Ukraine that I think we shouldn't be spending. So overall. Is Speaker Johnson right that this is dead on arrival in the House? Yeah, I think he's correct, Jenna. And thank you, by the way, for that very gracious and flattering introduction, as always. But I personally would support and have supported since day one a straightforward emergency aid package to Israel. I, I, I saw J.D. Vance and Kevin Roberts, the excellent president of the Heritage Foundation. They had an op-ed fairly shortly after the October 7th. Hamas pogrom calling for something along those lines. I, Mike Johnson introduced that bill before the House maybe like two or three weeks ago or so. It received a chamber-wide vote. That, that is what I would support. But 
I have been skeptical of U.S. involvement in Ukraine essentially since day one. I thought that there was a strong case to provide perhaps limited military armed support and so forth to Ukraine in the very, very first few months of the conflict. I mean, this is two years old now at this point, but it became evident fairly quickly, three months into the conflict, four months at the most, that Russia was not going to go for the kill. It became obvious fairly quickly that that the Zelensky regime was going to stay in power. So we've been in this weird stalemate there in the Donbass in eastern Ukraine for almost two years now, for for over one and a half years, one year, eight, ten months, whatever it actually is, that you, you have this fighting over these various villages in far eastern Ukraine. But Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, is not actually in jeopardy of being toppled. And I, I think it's crazy. I think it's absolutely nuts that we're virtually two years into this, and we're still sending what sixty billion dollars, according to the latest appropriation. I mean, I mean, why in the world? I mean, even on an apples to apples basis, why in the world would more money be going to Ukraine right now than to Israel? Israel is a much more important strategic ally for the United States for probably a million different reasons. Our countries are extremely close when it comes to military sharing, when it comes to intelligence sharing, when it comes to the shared threats that we face, namely the Iranian regime and all the various proxies and, and actors throughout the Middle East there. So so even on an apples-to-apples basis, why in the world would Ukraine, two years into the stalemate of a conflict, be getting more than three times the amount of aid as Israel? It, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, obviously, I would I, I would prefer that, that there be offsets in theory, um, I'm not sure that that is a hill to die on when it comes to a standalone emergency aid measure. I don't think that the Mike Johnson bill a couple weeks ago actually had had fiscal cuts elsewhere to make up for it. In theory, that would be ideal, but I, I think that probably is not a reason ultimately to vote against it as long as it's a relatively modest total top-line dollar number. So I, I, I would support a standalone Israel aid bill. I think that's probably overdue, to be honest with you. They've been fighting Hamas now for over four months, and, and they still have a bit of a ways to go. This is one of our strongest allies, and we've been with them ticking through for the better part of 75 years or so now. But, yeah, I've, I, I've been skeptical on Ukraine for a long time now, Jenna, so I'm no fan of shipping unaccountable money there to Zelensky and Kiev. Yeah, and, and I think that's well said, um, per the usual, uh, Josh Hammer. And and I certainly uh, support supporting Israel and a standalone uh, aid package, while offsets would be ideal. And, and some of our conservative colleagues in uh, in the House, like uh, Representative Chip Roy, Bob Good, and you know some of those Thomas Massey are saying, you know, we need offsets because we can't just continue to send money that we don't have. And yet, Congress still is, consen- is is sending all of this money over to Ukraine that we don't have. And so as long as we're sending money that we don't have, we should be sending more to Israel, less to Ukraine. And um, you know, it, it just seems like Ukraine is one giant cover for maybe something else. I mean, it, isn't it odd that we're not really seeing um, anything in the news about this ongoing conflict, yet we're seeing so much that has come out of reporting in Israel what's actually going on with the terrorism from Hamas. But we really don't see any footage or coverage of anything going on in Ukraine. It's just this this conflict that somehow the United States needs to just funnel a ton more money to President Zelensky. I mean, that I don't know that it's outrageous for some people to, to think that it's just a big money laundering scheme. You know, it's funny. I, I had a very similar conversation with my wife maybe a month or two ago where she, she basically 
said to me, like, is the war really still going on in Ukraine? Like, you just never hear about it or see about it anymore. And, you know, look, I mean, the daily newsletters that I skimmed through, the headlines that I skimmed through, I mean, yeah, every so often you, you, you certainly do see a headline about how there's a missile that struck this town in eastern Ukraine or western Russia, and innocent civilians tragically died. And it's all terrible. It's obviously horrible. Innocent civilians anywhere across the world is dying is just terrible. We're all children made in the image of God and so forth there. But again, this is a stalemate of a conflict. This is this is two years in. Neither country is in jeopardy of actually being toppled. I mean, obviously, suffice to say, the Ukrainians are not going to take out Putin in Moscow. You know, you almost had that coup from the Wagner group last summer from Prigozhin, who was sending his his mercenaries up to Moscow. And then we saw what happened to Prigozhin when, you know, he quote-unquote mysteriously died in that plane crash. But Putin's not going anywhere in Moscow, and Zelensky's not going anywhere in Kiev. So these guys are, are, are staying in power. They're, they're essentially squabbling over these remote towns in far eastern Ukraine that have traded hands over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years between various empires, some of which have called themselves Russia, some of which have called themselves Ukraine, some of which have called themselves other things there. And you know, from an America first, American national interest perspective, Jenna, I, I just don't care. I don't know how else to say it. I genuinely do not think it matters exactly how we draw the borders, exactly how we draw the boundaries of some of these towns in eastern Ukraine and the Crimea, the Crimean Peninsula, which, if anything, is probably historically more Russian than anything. It just doesn't matter from an American national interest, national security perspective. Again, I think that's very, very different from the situation in the Middle East. If you go to October 7th itself, you had over 30 Americans who were brutally murdered. You have additional Americans who are still currently being held hostage by Hamas. They're in those subterranean terror tunnels. And then additionally, of course, a few weeks ago, you had three American soldiers tragically killed at Tower 22, the military, be military base, excuse me, in the far northeastern corner of Jordan near Syria and Iraq. So for, for all of these reasons... It's just night and day, I think, when it comes to the American-U.S. national interest, when it comes to these conflicts. And it, it just doesn't make sense on an apples-to-apples basis why, you know, the, the military-industrial complex partisans, the people who are trying to get campaign donor money from Boeing and Northrop Grumman, folks like that, why they're going all in for the Ukrainian boondoggle on this proxy war against Russia – rather than trying to just pass a very simple, straightforward, standalone bill to Israel. You know, when it comes to our, our allied countries around the world, Israel, you know, maybe a couple other countries, Canada, the U.K., I, I mean, some of these very simple countries that it should not be controversial for the U.S. to stand with. But the, but the Ukrainian conflict, for a lot of reasons, has become a political football. I think that's probably a proper thing. I think that is okay. It, it is good to start asking questions about that money at this point. So why would you not just focus on the lower dollar, the lowest hanging fruit possible, which, again, is what Mike Johnson tried to do recently, and I thought it was a good effort. I was sad to see that it's not going to pass. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, um, Josh Hammer, that, that you mentioned how you know the, the, all of the – the focus has been on we have to support 
the war in Ukraine. And yet then there are people in media, especially that are suggesting that supporting Israel is the boondoggle. Um, even this morning, uh, there was a piece in Bloomberg that was an opinion piece that was titled, the U.S. will face blowback in the Middle East no matter what. And it goes on to suggest that uh, its main ally, Israel, isn't listening with Prime Minister Netanyahu not heeding President Biden's pleas to do more to limit the number of civilians killed in airstrikes and move toward another ceasefire. So history shows that uh, the U.S. and our relationship with Israel and the region's contentious politics will spark criticism from all sides, even if the U.S. avoids a wider war. And this is just one piece, and of course it's Bloomberg, but the wider media that is uh, generally, other than the few conservative outlets that are mouthpieces for the RNC, uh, most of the media is a mouthpiece for the Democrat progressive leftist agenda. And clearly they are supporting Ukraine over Israel. And we see that in all of their opinion pieces. So even the media is suggesting this bigger narrative as well. And there are some ideological reasons for doing that and some also fairly obscure reasons for doing that. So my own personal pet theory for a while now as to why the Democrats, the media, why why the NGOs, why all of these actors who, historically speaking, on the left, they're quote-unquote anti-war. My, my, my own pet theory as to why they are all now so passionate and gung-ho about this one war, they've finally found the one war that they're all in on, is that I think it has to do actually with Russiagate and the 2016 presidential election. I think that the conspiracy theory, and yes, it was a conspiracy theory, we can, we can go back to the Mueller probe and, and, and all of that, and the fact that it was Fusion GPS and Perkins Coie and Christopher Steele, the dossier, I think that the whole Russiagate notion that Vladimir Putin and Russia stole the 2016 election for Donald Trump, which has been disproven time and time again, there has never been any evidence whatsoever, it was literally a hoax from the Clinton campaign. But I think that this seeped in so thoroughly into the Democratic Party's conscience and into the mainstream media's conscience, MSNBC, New York Times, all those folks, that they can't let it go. And at this point, it's, it's kind of funny because back in the day, back in the days of the Cold War, it was Ronald Reagan and the Republicans who were the more fiercely anti-Soviet, anti-Russian, properly speaking, of course. We were at the height of the Cold War back then. But you, you, you've now reached this somewhat ironic inflection points in American history where I genuinely do think because of the lingering effects of the way that Russiagate has affected the left mentality here in the U.S., that you have the American left and not the right that is so doctrinaire, ideological, anti-Russia. And I'm not pro-Russia, okay? I mean, I watched Tucker Carlson's interview recently with Vladimir Putin. A lot of what Putin says is totally nonsensical. I mean, when he's talking about World War II, he, he said some absolutely wild things about, about Hitler collaborating with Poland. I mean, this is Soviet-esque revisionist history. I, I, am, I am the furthest thing from, from a Putin or Russia apologist. But we, we have to be realistic, and this is not the Cold War anymore. The, the Berlin Wall fell 35 years ago, I know, because it was the year I was born. And it's just a different world at this point, and there's no reason to be as instinctively hostile by all means necessary to Russia in the year 2024 as we maybe would have been in 1984, especially at a time and place when it is China, not Russia, that is so clearly the number one national security threat facing the United States. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting as well, Josh Hammer, that in order to say that 
we as conservatives don't support funding the war in Ukraine uh, to this extent. And we want to have clear strategic objectives that can be articulated that no one has yet from the Biden administration or even Republicans that support this in Congress. All of this, that we have to have this caveat that, yeah, but we're not Russian apologists. We're not you know, saying in any way that we support Russia, because that's how the Democrats and the mainstream media try to drive this narrative, that if you're not for what we're for, then you must be... You know, basically a Nazi. You must be another Hitler. You must be a, a Putin apologist. You must be all of these other things. And and they it, rather than saying this is actually a more complex issue. And you're right, I think, to go back to the Russia collusion hoax. And I remember very clearly that the day that that collusion hoax really died with Mueller's testimony, that was so abysmal. Uh, the, the very next day was when the phone call between Donald Trump and uh, and Zelensky happened. And that was the basis of the first impeachment. And there's been a lot of speculation, another conspiracy theory, perhaps, that maybe part of this funding is because of something that the Democrats or even the establishment Republicans that hated Donald Trump uh, promised to Zelensky in the event that this this type of conflict happened. And that's possible. I mean, you know, you can go back to the Trump presidency and recall that Zelensky was a major figure involved in that presidency. He was at the epicenter of the first impeachment, this nonsensical impeachment over a five to six page printed out in a transcript phone call, which, by the way, I mean, people at the time said that it, that it was crazy for the United States to threaten to withhold foreign aid on the basis of a so-called quid pro quo. You know, at the time, I said that I was pro quid pro quo when it comes to dispensing foreign aid. I think that there should be more strings attached in general to the United States giving out foreign aid to countries as opposed to less strings. I'm not sure where we got this idea that it should be no strings attached when it comes to, you know, handing out handing out lump sum paychecks from the United States, given how crazy indebted we are there. Look, Vladimir Zelensky is, is, is a flawed figure. He, he is no doubt about it, corrupt. There is all sorts of, of internal Ukrainian politics, and most Americans would blanch at if they knew any of the details there. He has banned pro-Russia from political parties from participating in the Ukrainian complex. He, he, he is not a shining beacon of NATO, European Union-style liberal democracy, to put it mildly. Is he better than, than a Vladimir Putin puppet in Kiev? Yes, he is. But that's not exactly... A, a black or white choice that's a very hard, grizzled, realist choice that the United States has to make. And that's why I thought at the very beginning of the conflict, when there was a chance that Russia could go for the kill shot and actually topple him, that you should support him. But those days are long. Yeah. They really yeah. Are. Well, Josh Hammer, really appreciate it. And you can check him out at Josh underscore Hammer. We'll be right back with more. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced 
advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, if you were one of the millions that tuned in on Sunday for the Super Bowl, you probably saw the Super Bowl ad, He Gets Us, which has created a lot of controversy, and and I think uh, it should, because the entire focus of the ad was presenting a false Jesus and a false gospel to say that uh, he gets us and he understands. And uh, our good friend Steve Dace actually had an, a very amazing like 20-minute rant on this that we don't have time for today, um, but I would really encourage all of you uh, to listen to that. He posted it on uh, his Twitter feed, Steve Dace, um, just yesterday. So you can go and listen to that. He was also on the show yesterday and and briefly alluded to it. But basically, um, the He Gets Us ad is presenting just the compassionate, caring side of Christ and saying that he understands us where we're at and didn't present anything about turning from sin Uh, how the Lord saves us, anything about the truth of the gospel of Christ, and yet was the probably and possibly the only presentation of Christ to some that are lost and fallen that they will ever hear or see in this year. And so uh, Jamie Bambrick is a pastor in Ireland and said this on social media yesterday, the Christian Super Bowl ad they should have made. A group known as He Gets Us released an advertisement during the Super Bowl, which, whilst perhaps well-intentioned, failed to convey anything of the gospel to the hundreds of millions who saw it. Here's my take on what they should have done. Hashtag He Saves Us. And if you go and watch this ad, and because we're on on uh, radio, the, the audio would not be nearly as impactful, but it goes on to show so many individuals that are former lifestyle, uh, that, that, that in their former lifestyle, so a former witch, a former uh, member of the KKK, a former transgender, a former, you know, every everything that you could possibly imagine of different lifestyles and sins, frankly, that, that people are engaged in, and former drug addict, former alcoholic. And then saying at the end, Jesus saves us. He restores us. He gives us hope. This is all about the message of saying he did not leave us in our sins and our transgressions. He saves us. And it is just so brilliantly done and is so clear in terms of its presentation of the truth that God does not leave us in our sins, but he saves us. And so joining me now is that pastor, Jamie Bambrick, and um, sir, this was just such a great ad. Um, so I- explain your, I-, I guess, your motivation behind this for giving us this type of contrast to the He Gets Us ad. Super, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, Jen. I appreciate you. 
uh, doing so and reaching out. And hopefully everybody can understand my accent <laughs> over there. Um, yeah, my, my motivation was that it was a massive missed opportunity. You know, if you put millions of dollars into something, I follow the NFL. It's actually one of the, it's probably the main sport that I actually follow. They put millions of dollars into reaching uh, hundreds of millions of people, then you should convey something that gets to the heart of the gospel. And I know there's limitations in trying to do that in 60 seconds, but I felt, I would argue, grieved over seeing that, you know, frustrated. And I think that is how a lot of uh, believing Christians felt about it, which was that all this did was almost stamp a, a sort of Christ-shaped approval sticker over the actions and thoughts and mores of our day, as opposed to what the gospel is, which is that Jesus does not simply come to support us in our sin, but to save us from it. And so I was prayerfully actually just thinking about, I, I run a YouTube channel uh, that's that's not a, not a massive one, it's, it's done okay, but I was praying into uh, that, that I would get an idea. I was thinking about doing something with regards to that. And then a guy called Joshua Dawes, who's a friend of mine uh, on Twitter or X, and said, um, would would someone consider making a good version of this, a Christian version of this that actually uh, proclaims the gospel? And, and I, I just felt like it was a little bit of a, a sort of flash of inspiration, uh, you could call it. Perhaps it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want to him to take the blame for any mistakes I make. But nonetheless, I felt that there was something there that could have been shared. And those stories, I think, are so much more impactful because it shows what the gospel does and hopefully, in a very brief way, explains a little bit of what the gospel is, which is Jesus saves us from sin. And and this ad has now gone viral on social media. It's been uh, shared many many times, and um, and hopefully is is getting to as wide of an audience um, eventually. Uh, and as many people will see this on X, which is a huge worldwide platform, even then saw uh, the He Gets Us ad on the NFL uh, game. And wouldn't that be amazing? And and I think um, there there's been some unfortunate, I, I think, embrace from some Christians who are saying, well, we shouldn't criticize the He Gets Us ad because at least it's trying to bring the name of Jesus into the NFL and into a hostile secular marketplace. Uh, but but we need to make sure that it's the true Jesus and we're not presenting a false version when this, this really could be um, the only presentation of the picture of who Jesus is to some of these people who are watching. So how important is it to ensure that we, we do properly as Christians critique when these ads um, or any of these messages, whether it's an ad, it's, it's a sermon by a pastor or, you know, anything else, um, a book, a, an op-ed when, when all of these media are presenting a false version of Christ to a secular world. Yeah, it's essential. I mean, I, I almost view this as not so much uh, a direct critique uh, as a critique by contrast. That's what I would argue that this was, where I was very, I was showing what could have been done, because my first thought was to maybe do like a response video um, and, and walk through it. And people people have done that extremely well and done it better than I could do it. But, but I think that um, 
Yes, there's 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 a way of doing a critique which also gets the message out there. So it's what well, you don't want is just the sort of echo chamber where, well, the the Bible believing Christians are only responding. We actually have a better message. Like the message that Jesus saves us from sin is a phenomenal message, and how that bears out in people's lives is an incredible truth. And so. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe that, yeah, we need to engage with these things, particularly where there are those key cultural moments. And there's perhaps, I view this as potentially also uh, an attempt to bring um, a left-wing ideology in towards a, a Christian audience as well. So I don't know that this was just evangelism towards, uh, you know, unbelievers. I think it may well have actually been intended in part to shift the conversation leftwards within believing Christians. Um, and so you need to respond to that. But I think also part of the response is demonstrating that the true gospel is a better message. Mm, so well said. I'm speaking with Pastor Jamie Bambrick, who is in Ireland and the creator of this ad, uh, He Saves Us, that is, as you said, a very well, Jamie, by contrast to the He Gets Us ad. And and I want to follow up on something that you said that, that I thought is so profound and so true, is that Christians should not just be responsive to the culture. We should be actively engaging with the truth of the gospel of Christ and the message that is the only hope for a lost and sinful world. And I think especially in the political world and in the social media world and so media at large, our our tendency is to just be responsive and to critique rather than creating our own content to engage a lot of these media platforms, um, even, even things like the entertainment world. Um, our friends at The Daily Wire do such a great job at saying, we're not just going to critique uh, the Disney company or you know some of these other places that are, that are putting out content that we don't want our kids to watch. We're going to create our own with a better message that is based on biblical truth and morality. And, and so I think for Christians, it is so important to use our gifts and talents and skill set to create content, uh, especially in this this high pr- media prolific environment that that we all live in now, that is spreading the message of truth and hope rather than just critiquing what is false. So, I mean, we do need to critique what is false, but we need to then say, instead of that, here is what the truth is. And and so what kind of response have you seen uh, from this video that, that really has now gone viral? The response has been incredible. I mean, so, so prior to this, I had maybe and a half thousand followers on Twitter or X and about 5,000 subscribers uh, plus a little bit perhaps on YouTube. So not a big platform by any means. And yeah, for, as, as you said, one and a half million people have seen it on X, further 190,000 nearly on YouTube. And then apparently I don't, I'm not even on Instagram in any meaningful sense, but hundreds of thousands on there. So I think there, it has clearly resonated with people that this this is getting to, you know, it's not it's not a full gospel presentation. We don't end up talking about, the, you know, the the burial and the resurrection of Jesus in detail. It's very short and very simple, but it has been extraordinarily well received, given how widespread it's been as well. Because normally, when you when something goes quite as big as that, you get 
a lot of people who disagree pushing back. But instead, I mean, obviously I couldn't read all of the, the comments and the tweets and so on. But uh, from everything I've seen, it's been extremely well received, which I think is important for Christians to recognize broadly that um, the true gospel has power, has the ability to resonate with the human heart. And uh, yes, there can be a degree of opposition. Yes, it will come under fire for uh, preaching and proclaiming that in whatever way. It will also reach people. God works through it to genuinely reach people. And actually, I think there is a spiritual hunger in the Western world for people to boldly proclaim the true gospel, the true message of Jesus. And uh, I think if the church does so, does so well, does so unashamedly, does so confidently, um, I absolutely believe we can we can reach, uh, I mean, as, as we've seen, millions of people with something that, if I'm honest, it took me about one hour to make. It was not it was not a particularly challenging piece of content, and I didn't think it would really go, I didn't think it would get anywhere near where it went, but it's just surprising what God can do with that. So, yeah, I would absolutely encourage people to, um, to, to have confidence in the power of the gospel. It is. It's so simple. It's so profound, and it is so hopeful. And the only thing that uh, that is our hope for eternity, and that is the power of the gospel. And so, uh, Jamie Bambrick, who and you can see this ad for anyone who hasn't yet. You can go to at j underscore Bambrick b a m b r i c k on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, and uh, this is one of the top. Uh, uh, tweets or posts that Jamie has, and uh, this is an ad that's just a minute long. And and instead of saying Jesus doesn't just get us, he saves us, and and that's the clear message here. And and I think you are so right, Jamie, that we need to have as Christians confidence in the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit that he is still working to change hearts and minds and is still in the business of saving. And, and so often I think we get so caught up in politics, in the culture, in everything going on in our daily lives that we forget that simplicity and we forget that the, the Great Commission is ultimately what our calling is to be missionaries to a lost and fallen world. We have a mission to spread the truth of the gospel of Christ. And so I would love to see uh, a, and, and I responded on, on, your, uh, on your post yesterday, that I would love to see this ad uh, be funded to be on for the next Super Bowl. So we have a year. And so, you know, I, I don't know if you're you're interested in starting like a GoFundMe campaign or something. I would donate because I would love to see something like this or this particular ad um, to be on the NFL channels and, and to go viral to reach people with a truthful message that Jesus saves. So um, any thoughts about that? Uh, it's probably something that's outside of my wheelhouse. You know, I'm not, I'm not even based in America. So if, if there is a company out there that wants to take that idea and run with it and do it in a way that gets all the, the music rights and all of that, that, that uh, you require. I mean, I didn't monetize this because, you know, I don't, I don't own the rights to the stuff. Um, I would be, I am totally happy for people to take that idea and run with it. I'm probably not the guy to, to do it. Hopefully, maybe it's been a spark of inspiration. But uh, if there's anyone listening, or if you know anybody yourself who would like to do that, go for it. Like I think, I think it could absolutely have a much greater impact 
than the He Gets Us campaign. So definitely worth doing. Absolutely. Well, thank you for producing this, for sharing it, and it has gone viral. Um, I'm, I'm looking, it has 1.6 million views already just in the last 22 hours since it's been posted. So, uh, Jamie Bambrick, thank you for a very clear message of the truth of the gospel of Christ. So you can go to at J underscore Bambrick and you can see uh, this ad hashtag he saves us. So have a very happy Valentine's Day. I did post some Valentines from Todd and Copper on their Instagram page. So you can always follow them to dudes underscore Copper and Todd. Have a very, very blessed and pink and sparkly Valentine's Day. And I will talk with you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.